2 Corinthians 5, if you would turn there real quick this morning, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul, he's writing through here, and he comes, um, he's talking about the assurance of salvation, versus um, after this, he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. It comes down to verses 12 through 21 and tells us really why it is that you and I should be sharing the gospel, really that you and I are ambassadors. If you've trusted Christ as Savior, you don't have an option of being an ambassador or not. The question is, what kind of ambassador are you? Do you represent Jesus well or do you represent him not well? We don't have an option if you're a believer, truly a follower of Jesus. But within there, kind of the middle of that, he comes to verse 14 and he says, I want to tell you why it is that I do what I do. So verse 14, and we're just going to look at verse 14 and 15 and kind of bring this about looking at God, the motivation, hopefully appreciating him more and out of all this to be compelled a little bit greater because of his love for you and me. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. That word compels, an interesting word. Um, another translation says constrain, but I want you to think of a tube of toothpaste. They had, to tick th- they had to put that toothpaste in that tube, but the idea of compel is the idea of being squeezed. So that squeezing, as you squeeze out that toothpaste, the idea that this, Paul is saying... God's love for me and my love for him, I think is what he's saying, motivates me. It's what gets me up in the morning, what gets me to go through and endure the sufferings of life and the joys of life. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all are dead. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So looking at this morning, number one here, if you're following along notes here, the notes that have been handed out or however, look, I want to look at the certainty of God. I want to spend just a few minutes looking at God's character. Paul says it's the love of Christ and I want to get us a little bit bigger magnitude of who God is and what He's like, maybe as this a, a, a motivating factor. I forgot this morning, and didn't have time to get it together, for, um, to bring a, a golf ball. So I'm going to make a made-up golf ball here to use as we walk along. So I want us to think of the character of God for just a moment. Psalm 147, 4 and 5 says this about God that we know in the beginning God created, Jesus was the creator, but in in this creation, Psalm 147 says that he counts all the numbers of the stars and he calls every single one of them by name. Now there's six, seven billion people on the earth and he knows every single one of you, us. He knows every one of your names, he knows your families, where you're from, all that stuff, but not only that, there are billions and trillions and quadrillions of stars planets, galaxies, and the Bible says that God made them all, and he knows every single star by name. Great is our Lord and great power, his understanding is infinite. First Kings 8 describes this about God, verse eight, chapter 8, 27, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I've built. Solomon built this. David had all the stuff ready. Solomon built the house. God's presence came down so great that the priests couldn't enter into that temple. And 
Solomon, he says, look, this house that I built for you is nothing because the heaven of heavens cannot even contain you, God, because you are so immense and so great. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth. I want you to take a journey with me as we ponder this morning our great God. We're going to call him and describe him as a star-breathing, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present God. And I want us to get us a little glimpse, we're going to run through this, a little glimpse of just how big God is. Will you turn with me to Isaiah 40? In order, I'm not going to read through this passage. It'll be on the screen, but I'm going to f- come through, I'm going to fly through some of these um, slides just too, probably too fast for you to read through. But Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 10, oops, I went the wrong way, beginning with verse 10, as I'm talking, you can look down and you can kind of ponder, you can read through this, but when you're down, you did, as I was going back through this even last night and yesterday, just finalizing all the pieces, I was encouraged. I mean, we get down, we get depressed. I understand part of the ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship. As being the state director, I'm responsible for fundraising, for support. So we have supporters just like the school does. Um, but it, primary, our primary ministry is to children, children who can't give back. And it's a primary ministry of children that most, a majority of them who don't go to church. Our ministry is around the world. It's in all, every country of the world but North Korea. Last year, God allowed the ministry to reach 23 million children for Christ, nearly 23 million children around the world. The biggest bulk of, of, the, of children that were reached was in the Middle East, where God shouldn't be, Jesus shouldn't be, and yet the children, over 6 million children, heard the gospel throughout the Middle Eastern countries. I'm just playing a small little part here in Nebraska, equipping people to reach kids where they live. My aunt back here, Sarah, she... And some, um, some others from here in Central City, they do a good news club right down here in a public school every Monday. We're, we have Bible clubs. I tell people, because I, I, I grew up here, um, went to school here, went away to Christian college. When I tell people, I say the most time that I've spent in a public school is teaching the Bible, seeing children come to know Christ as Savior, telling them some of the very same things that I'm gonna tell you, except for some of them, They've never heard of Jesus here in America. They have no concept of what the Bible is. They don't know who the true and living God is. We have sometimes Mormons and Muslims who will sign up for a little bit of time to come to our clubs. We get to present the gospel to them. You guys say you should know the gospel. What are you doing to share it? And what is our motivation? Very quickly, how big is God? I want you to get a little description, little picture of this in comparison, okay? Here we have over here, it's kind of hard to see. Here's Mercury, Mars, Venus, and Earth. Okay, so the third planet in from us is the, our planet. And from those planets, we, you know, fairly significant. But as we walk along, here's Earth over here. This is just still in our galaxy. And here we go on up to Jupiter. From Jupiter then, on the next slide, Jupiter's right here, we have wolf, this is another star, and then we get to our star that God breathed into existence. We call it the sun. A little bit bigger than our, uh, a lot bigger than our sun, and it's blue, which means it's an even hotter temperature than our sun, um, is, is this star Sirius. But let me pause just a moment to talk about our sun. 
our sun, and it's written down here is, in, in your notes, is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. About 93, a little less than 93 million miles away. It takes the sunlight that you see that hits your skin is eight minutes old. That's how long traveling at the speed of light, 182,000 miles per second, it takes for the sun, light, traveling from the sun to hit you. So really, in essence, I don't know that we really see the sun itself, but we see the light that's, been, that's a little bit old after we finally see that because that's how long it takes. That's just the sun, and God's positioned it perfectly just for us. So let me put it this way. If the earth, okay, if the earth was a size, about this size of a golf ball, okay, our sun, and our sun would be then about 15 feet in diameter, okay? If our earth was a size, the sun would be about 15 feet in diameter. And there would be enough golf balls, earths, to fit Okay, if we had golf balls representing earth, it would all fit in a yellow school bus. That's how many earths would fit inside this current sun that we have. 960,000 earths would fit inside our sun. That's how big it is. So, I just talked to you, just told you that. So, 15 feet in diameter, 960,000 earths would fit inside our sun. But in comparison to our sun, as significant as our sun is, look at this. Here's our sun. Actually, this isn't our sun. This is Sirius. This is the next biggest star close to our sun. Then we have Pollux. We have Arcturus. We have Aldebaran, however they pronounce that. Again, we as humans, we've given names to these stars. There's a lot of other stars. These are just some big ones here. Uh, There's that Aldebaran. There's Regal. That's a blue one, so that's even more intense. Antares. And then we have Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse is another name that they call for it. And to talk about Betelgeuse just for a moment, okay? This is God thinking that he spans heaven and earth. Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse is 427 light years away, okay? That's 182,000 miles a second, figuring it over a year, 427, 427 light years away. It is. I think it might have the blanks filled in there for you. Two times this star is two times the size, not of the earth, but the earth's orbit around the sun. The earth's diameter is about 8,000 miles, a little less than 8,000 miles across diameter. About 25,000, I think it is, miles around. It takes one year of orbit to circle the sun. And this star is two times the orbit of the sun. So in other words, if our earth was a golf, the size of a golf ball, it would be like going, getting in a plane, traveling to New York, getting to New York and standing at the foot of the Empire State Building, standing across the street and gazing up, and then imagine that there was five other Empire State Buildings standing on top of it. Okay, the Empire State Building is, did I write it in here? I wrote it somewhere, I thought in my notes. I think about a little less than 1,500 feet. Okay, so if you stuck three Empire State Buildings on top of each other, it's not quite a mile. Okay, so less than two miles going straight up. If you put this little golf ball at the bottom of the 
Empire State Building, that would be our earth in comparison to Betelgeuse or Betelgeese. It would take 262 trillion earths that would fit inside. In other words, to give us a little bit of a comparison of how big this is, 262 trillion earths would be enough to fill the Superdome. You know what the Superdome is? If you don't know, here's a picture of it. It's where the New Orleans Saints play. If you look down here, which is really hard, these are people and these are cars and this is the Superdome. They would fill the earths 3,000 times. 3,000 times of filling the Superdome with earths would be the equivalent of our earth in comparison to the star that God breathed into existence. Okay, how about moving on, we come to the next one, Musifi. Okay, Musifi is another huge star, 3,000 light years away. Don't ask me what that is in feet or miles because it's beyond me. And if, in comparison, if the earth was a golf ball, Musifi would be the size of two Golden Gate Bridges end to end. Now, depending on where you measure the Golden Gate Bridge, it's either 1.2 or 1.7 miles long. So let's say it's three miles, okay? Three miles, putting them end to end. That would be the size of comparison if the earth was a golf ball to Musifi, three miles along. That would be equal to... I think I missed this, but that would be equal to 2.7 quadrillion Earths. Now, let me give you an idea of a quadrillion. Okay, one billion equals what? 1,000 million. One, what's our next one? One trillion equals 1,000 million. So can you guess what a one quadrillion is? Thousand trillion. Okay, pretty big number. Big deal. Well, let's put it in seconds, okay? Let's put it in seconds. One million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Not that money. How many, how far, how long back do you think a billion seconds might be? Anybody got an idea? Shout it out. What's that? 37 and a half years, okay? Good guess. Long ways off. <laughs> Nobody's this old. Well, a couple of us are. That billion seconds ago is May of 1977. A trillion seconds ago. Want to guess on that one? Good guess. A trillion seconds ago. Here we go. 29,700 B.C. Okay, you get an idea of Maybe how big this star is. How about a quadrillion? Want to guess on that one? No. no. How about 30,800,000 years ago is one quadrillion seconds. And this star is so large that it would take 2.7 million Earths to fit inside. And the Bible says that God cannot, the heavens cannot contain our God. Let me tell you about one more star maybe about the largest one that we know of in the known universe. It's called Canis Majoris, also known as the big dog star. 
so large that if the earth was the size of a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest. Do you know how tall Mount Everest is? It's about 30,000 feet high, just over, just around six miles high. Earth and Mount Everest to fit inside. Okay, let me give you a little bit of a perspective. That would be enough golf balls to cover the state of Texas, which is 282, 290 some thousand square miles, 22 inches feet, 22 feet, sorry, 22 inches deep with golf balls. Why do I say all this? Because this is, the, this is the magnitude of our God. This is the God that spoke you and me into existence. In about 1977, September 5th, as a matter of fact, Voyager 1 was launched. Voyager was a kind of a satellite that was launched out to take pictures of the known universe. In about 1990, it got to the edge of our universe, and Carl Sagan, who was an astronomer, an evolutionist, didn't want anything to do with God. Um, he said he was part of this, and he said, Look, right before they, it gets out of being able to send signals, have Voyager give the commands for Voyager turn around and take a snapshot, a picture of the known universe. These pixels weren't very good, but it took months for one pixel, weeks days for pixels to come back. It took months for this whole entire picture to finally get back to Earth so we could see what it is. And it just blew the scientists away because of the immensity of space and the, the, the smallness of our Earth. Sometimes we get the idea that we're pretty big we get the idea, hey, I'm pretty athletic, I'm, pretty, I'm a big man, a big gal on campus, you know, I'm smart, I'm athletic, you know, I, I, I'm big cheese, I'm big stuff. And we get a big head. And, and as Americans, we sometimes think, hey, we're, we're superior, and, and I know we have several that, you know, people from other countries, and we get this own idea that our country is better, yada, yada, yada. And yet we as humans, we think we're, we're in control of our fate, and we think that we are the epitome of everything. Isaiah, as you read through here, he says, God is the one who sits on the circle of the earth. And he comes to you and me, and he says, our God, this is, this is our God. Have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he never faints, he never weary, he's never weary, there's no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to those who have no might, or he increases strength. Even you get tired and grow faint. Young men shall utterly fall, but those who wait on the Lord. If you haven't gone through a lot of deep trials, if you haven't gone through a lot of struggles, you will. And those who wait on the Lord have God behind them that spoke this into existence because our God is big. As Voyager reached the outer space, the edge of outer space, four billion miles away, took those pictures, sent them back. You wanna know what they saw? Here's what they saw. They saw our earth suspended in nothingness. Can you see it? Can you see our earth? Kinda of hard in here because of the lighting. Right there, let me help you out. It's right there. It was caught in a little pale 
reflection off of the Voyager, they say, catching the Earth from four billion miles away. I'll give you a bigger picture. Does that help you? Can you, can you? can you see yourself sitting there? Can you see the country? Listen to what Carl Sagan, pagan, wanted nothing to do with God, but this is what he said. Carl Sagan, he had a lot to say on this, but I want to read this. He says, the earth is very small stage in a vast cosmic era, arena. Now listen, think of the rivers of blood spilled by all the generals and emperors so that in glory and in triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited upon the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. And then listen. Our posturings, our self-imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some, here's what he said, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. And he said, how insignificant we are. This doesn't tell of the hundreds of thousands of years, the thousands of lives that are still being eliminated because of man's desire to rule this little dot. What significance is there? If this is all we are, in this cosmic space, what does it matter if you're a valedictorian? What does it matter if you're top athlete? What does it matter that you even exist? I'll tell you why. Even though we may seem small and maybe we should feel small because of this, because the star breather who spoke these magnificent beings, these magnificent stars into place, became the sin bearer. God, Jesus, who spoke into existence, saw you sitting here today, says, I love you, I have a significance for you. Even though you've rejected me, maybe and most of you hopefully have come to receive him and accepted him, we're born away from him. And he says, I still love you. I bore your sin. I've come, I came to redeem you. Jesus said this, he says, I was slain before the world even came into existence because I knew that you were going to need me because I knew that I have a plan for your life. And even though you're an insignificant person or so you may feel that way on this insignificant planet, God died for you. He made you for a purpose. He made you for a reason. You bear his mark. You bear his image. If you have 
chosen him as your savior, if you, if you have accepted him, God sees you as his son, as his very beloved son. Why do I say all this? Because I don't know about you, but I get excited as I talk about this, as I think about it, and it should want to motivate me to tell others about him. When you go to your speech debates, and you go to your speech presentations, you go to your basketball games, you go to your track meets, you bear the image of Jesus. Don't you want those that you compete with to know Jesus? It's not about winning and losing. Yes, we want the trophies and we want the pride and all that that goes with it. But do you look for opportunities in your neighborhood and with your peers who don't know Jesus? Paul said, I am compelled by the love of Jesus. I can't shut up about him. That's the prayer that I pray for my life. Jesus, I want to see you. I want to be so consumed by you that I can't help but tell others. His love, the certainty of His love. He knows you. He still loves for you. The Bible says that every thought that God has for you is peace. It's for your hope. It's for your good. He says that His love for you is eternal and powerful. Look these verses up in Romans. It surpasses our understanding. Paul writes and he says, I can't even that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, breadth, depth, and height, and to know the love of God. Young people today, you get inundated. You sit around the Bible. You sit around church. You do a lot of Christian stuff. But what is your motivation for living? Why do you do it? Is it just something that you do every day because it's expected of you? My last point is this as we conclude, and that is, if God certainly loves you, if He's certainly given Himself for you, don't you think it should be that we should certainly want to worship and devote ourselves to Him? But I have question marks there. Do you know why? Because we take Him for granted. We want to live life that we wanted the way we want to live it. We still want to be our own king, and you know how we do that? We put others down. And instead of being a family, and instead of looking for opportunity to share Christ and being a family here, looking out for one another, we like to bite and devour and to put others down who are a little different than us and who seem weird. We get into our little cliques, and we don't include others. Shame on us. If God stayed in his own clique, where would you and I be? But he came down for you and me in humility. I'm going to go through these last through things. I was going to challenge you about this summer um, coming to serve as a summer missionary. I heard one gal headed off to a missions trip, be a summer missionary right here in Nebraska. I'll be back to talk about that. Certainty of worship and devotion, serving those around you, and choosing to live your life out of love for the Lord. I close with this. Whom are you serving? You have, some other, you have some other thought questions as you break into your group. I want you to contemplate this in all seriousness. Why are you serving? Do you, are you serving supposedly because you have to? And the last question is, what, do you, what did God? You asked him at the beginning, God, if you put on my heart things that I need to adjust to my life, I will. I hope you said that. Is there anything that he's talked to you about? Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you that you're so immense, you're so beautiful, you're so wonderful. Heaven of heavens cannot even contain you. And yet you humbled yourself to become a dot like us, smaller than a dot, to die for us so that we could find forgiveness, so that our lives, everything about our lives could be redeemed. Lord Jesus, I pray for the school. I pray for these teachers as they continue to pour their lives into these students, that you would empower them, encourage them. I pray for the funding that you would provide in a miraculous way in a short time. I pray that these students would understand the privileges that they get and they'll want to buy into this because if the funding doesn't come, they don't have a school and they would come to appreciate what you've given them here. And most especially, that you would compel us out from your love for us and our love for you to share you with others. Those that know, don't know you, but also those who do. In Jesus' name, amen.